episode 14 of But You Don't Look Sick, and today let's talk hormone therapy. Just one of my favorite subjects, and if you are on any type of hormone drugs, I'm sure you're like, oh yeah, it's something that I totally want to talk about, but it's actually something I had no idea about going into breast cancer, even throughout my main treatments. I really didn't know too much about what hormone therapy entailed. Um, and even in the beginning when you get diagnosed, um, and I've said this before, like they don't really tell you, like I really didn't hear too much about radiation. I didn't hear too much about hormone therapy. Like they really concentrate on the big ones, which is like chemo and surgery first. And so I didn't even think to ask questions about hormone therapy. Um, when you're first diagnosed, they tell you whether or not your cancer is hormone receptor positive or if it's hormone receptor negative. And so, um, you know, I was triple positive. So I'm estrogen positive, progesterone positive, and then HER2 positive. But the main hormones that they focus on is obviously hormones that are naturally produced in your body, which are estrogen and progesterone. So my cancer basically is fueled by my natural hormones. Um, mine is heavily fueled by estrogen. And so going into that, um, you know, you're automatically, they're going to say that you're going to be on hormone therapy. But I had no idea. We didn't talk about the ins and outs of what that meant. We didn't talk about whether, you know, what drugs. When I was researching online, everything that I came up with was like tamoxifen, 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 tamoxifen. And then I just read all these horror stories about tamoxifen. And so I kind of, you know, put it in the back of my head about whether or not I was going to take this drug. I really didn't even ask questions because I was like, it's so many months away. Um, that's how I felt in the beginning. And so I didn't really, I don't know. I really didn't even think about hormone therapy when I was first diagnosed. I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. So let's just stop the estrogen production. Um, so when you're going through chemo, at least when I went through chemo, I did TCHP and all of those drugs are meant to stop your rapid regenerating cells anyway. So like estrogen, it's going to shut down um, like production of your ovaries. And so when you are going through chemo, you're basically chemically induced into menopause. Um, for most people, I don't, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. Everyone, everyone's bodies are different. Um, but right away, probably like after my second chemo treatment, um, you know, they take your blood and, and they, they look at your levels and everything. And my period had stopped and I didn't, so throughout the duration of chemo, I was for all intensive purposes in menopause. Um, and thinking back on it, you know, you're just so sick during chemo that you don't even really like see the effects of whether or not you're producing estrogen because your body's just so out of whack. But I just remember in chemo and Chris, Chris can say, like, can attest to this, that I was so calm. Like I'm normally a pretty uppity person. Um, like pre-cancer, a lot of things could set me off really easily. I'm definitely like a type A personality. I like things a certain way. Um, I'm just kind of like, okay, just let me do it. Um, but during chemo, you know, just everything's put into perspective. And I was just kind of like, nothing matters. <laughs> like I was so level-headed. Um, Chris was always like, man, you know, this chemo thing is, it's, it's a real good trip. Um, he was joking, obviously. Uh, if you can't understand our sarcasm by now, I just don't even know what to tell you. Um, but then 
you know, coming out of chemo about a month after, um, about a month after I stopped chemo, my period returned with a vengeance. And I just remember being not scared, but just being like, oh my God, what does this mean? Like, this means that my ovaries are producing estrogen again. Like, what are we going to do about this? Um, And that's kind of when we started talking about hormone therapy. And I was asking questions like, am I going to be put on tamoxifen? Am I not going to be put on tamoxifen? Um, My oncologist happens to not be a real true, um, you know, fan of tamoxifen. He tries not to put a bunch of women on it unless their, you know, cancer characteristics call for that. Um, And I think that there's a lot of science now And there's a lot of treatments that now are saying to use um, other drugs, not always tamoxifen. You know, 15 years ago, that was the standard. If you had ERP or positive breast cancer, you were going on tamoxifen no matter what. And now there's just so many other drugs that come into play that can do the same thing. Um, And so that's basically what my oncologist explained to me. Your oncologist may be completely different and you have to ask your oncologist those questions. Um, but I adamantly was like, I do not want to go on tamoxifen if I don't have to. You can look up tamoxifen and studies and clinical trials and everything on your own if you kind of want to form your own opinions about the drug. And some of you may even be on the drug and you have no choice um, because that's just what your cancer calls for. So there's no reason to like feel bad about that or be scared about that. I mean, we can, we can all have our own separate feelings about our treatments. For me personally, I was just kind of like, if we can avoid the tamoxifen, you know, let's do that. I also did not start hormone therapy until I was done with radiation. After chemo, my period came back and I got it once and then I didn't get it again for another two months. So it wasn't like it was regular or anything. I just, it was like my body was, my ovaries were trying to, you know, come back alive. Um, but we weren't too worried. They were really checking my, they were really checking my blood levels and, um, everything and just seeing where my hormones were at that time. And I was still producing, you know, I was still in a very low production stage as far as that was going. So there wasn't this huge fear of me not going on hormone therapy right away. So, you know, so I did have my bilateral, then we went right into radiation and then I started hormone therapy. Um, so why would someone start hormone therapy? Well, there's, I mean, there's many different reasons, but basically it's to prevent the cancer from coming back because if your cancer is fueled by estrogen, the production of estrogen, you know, producing estrogen, you're just at risk for feeding those cancer cells. If there's even a microscopic cancer cell left. So you want to decrease the risk of developing any type of reoccurrence. And so you want to slow or just stop the growth altogether of the cancer and whatever's feeding it. So that's kind of why hormone therapy comes into play. And you can do hormone therapy to reduce the size of a tumor, like prior to surgery. It really all just depends on your specific case. But hormone therapy definitely is something that is known to be completely normal with a breast cancer diagnosis. So if you haven't started hormone therapy yet, you might want to ask questions whether or not you'll be doing it. Um, Also, your age plays a huge factor in whether or not you'll be doing um, hormone therapy. So after radiation, I started Lupron shots. And so Lupron is basically used to shut down your ovaries and stop them from producing estrogen completely. Um, I had no idea what being on Lupron was going to be like. I mean, I remember sitting in the infusion chair and I was getting, you know, another round of Herceptin and my oncology PA was there and she's, 
she's very upfront with me and we have such a great relationship that I was like, all right, just tell me legit, what am I in for with these Lupron shots? And she said, you know, there's a, there's a bone pain attached to it. There's joint pain attached to it. Obviously hot flashes, um, mood swings, you know, she's like, you could be very irritable. Um, there could be fluctuation, fluctuation in weight gain or weight loss. Um, and then I remembered you know, looking it up while I was sitting there on my phone and seeing that one of the side effects was like thickening of the abdomen. And I was like, wait, does that have to do with weight gain? What the hell is this thickening of the abdomen? Like, I don't understand what they couldn't say that you're just going to get fat. Like what, what does that mean? And Chris and I like always get a kick out of that. Um, just thinking back to that one specific like side effect, um, that was just so oddly worded. But so then you go, I went and I got my loop, my first Lupron shot. I get it in my butt. It has to go directly into the muscle. As you heard in last week's episode, talking to Emily, she gives herself a Lupron injection and I'm not even kidding you. Like that's the bravest shit I've ever heard. Um, the needle is so long and it is just, it's like a hollow knee. I mean, it's just an awful shot to get. And you get this shot once I get the shot once a month. I know some other women get it, um, once every three months. It just depends on, again, it just depends on you. Um, so went in and got that first shot and you know, your, your butt cheeks, just a little sore. And then I came home. I really didn't feel any effects of it. I mean, you get hot flashes and everything through chemo because you're chemically induced into menopause. So I was kind of used to like the getting hot flashes and everything, but not as intense as with the Lupron. My hot flashes on Lupron have always kind of been at night and they come on so quickly. And it's just like, I have to throw everything off of me. If there's any covers, like I cannot just, it's just crazy. I remember I would jump up and turn on the fan and just like stand in the middle of my room underneath the fan, like because they were just so intense with these hot flashes. And it was crazy. And I would wake Chris up because I would jump out of bed and he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, oh my God, it's a hot flash. And I would just be like throwing off my shirt. Like they were so intense. Um, and so then, so those, that's kind of what's brought on um, immediately. And then a couple days after my first Lupron shot, I woke up in the morning and my knees and my legs, like the bones in my legs just hurt so bad. And my hip bone, everything hurt so bad to the point where I could not walk. Um, I mean, I can, I know that I can say I have a, I have a really high pain tolerance, um, getting through all of these things with no pain pills, um, surgery and everything. Like I had no idea what was going on. I remember trying to get out of bed and my knees just buckled and I just fell to the floor. Um, and I was like, Chris, I can't, like, I can't walk. Like this cannot be a normal side effect. Um, and he's like, well, what, you know, what should we do? And I called my oncologist and I was like, what the hell did you do to me this time? Like, this cannot be normal. I, I mean, you guys said bone pain, not like debilitating bone pain. Um, and he's like, no, it can be really intense, you know, for the first couple shots. And so I was like, okay. And then the hot flashes were just crazy. And then, um, so the bone pain for that first one lasted a couple days and it was really intense. It was just kind of like every step I took, it just sent these sharp pains up through my legs. Um, 
But I could tell that as the days went on, it just got a little bit better and a little bit better. So I was like, okay, this must just be like how it goes with the first shot. Um, which was, which was frightening. I kind of thought in the beginning, like if this happens every single shot, there's no way I can stay on this for the next five to 10 years. And that's how long hormone therapy lasts. Um, there are new studies coming out to say that 10 years is like now the golden number to be on hormone therapy for women with triple positive breast cancer who are diagnosed under the age of 40. So, And my doctor has reiterated that to me, that more than likely this will be a 10-year thing, which I'm totally fine with, um, as long as it wasn't like the crazy bone pain like the first time. So basically, Lupron is to get you to shut your ovaries down. Um, And so that usually takes a couple shots. So for me, after my first Lupron shot, I ended up getting my period um, a couple weeks later, which was like, they were like, what in the hell? Like my ovaries just did not want to shut down. Um... I was having horrible cramping around that time, like to the point of, I thought that I was like in labor one night and obviously I wasn't pregnant. There was no baby, but I'm not even kidding you. It was like coming on like contractions. And then I woke up the next morning and had gotten my period. Um, and so it took three shots, Lupron shots for me to be in, you know, to be what they would consider in menopause, but they don't tell you like that you're in menopause until you've been, you haven't had a period for one full calendar year. So my blood levels and like my labs were saying my ovaries are, you know, not producing as much, much estrogen, but they're not saying, okay, you're completely in menopause yet. Once your ovaries shut down, that's when they will introduce a separate drug. Um, so even though your ovaries are the main estrogen producer. You still can have small amounts of estrogen produced in your liver, your fat cells, your muscle. If if you have extra breast tissue, um, there can be estrogen produced in those breast cells. So there's lots, there's still like very small amounts of estrogen produced. And so, you know, if you're ER positive, they want to try and get you to where you're just producing no estrogen. So they'll put you on a separate drug. So I am on Arimidex and that works those small traces of estrogen, like in your fat cells and stuff like that. And just, it attaches to those and, you know, doesn't feed them anymore. So we're basically trying to cover everything. Um, so I remember when I first started Arimidex, which was like three shots later. So three months after I started the Lupron, I felt like a crazy person. Like those two in conjunction with each other made me want to crawl out of my own skin. I mean, you take the hot flashes and the mood swings and everything, but for me, I don't know. I mean, it was like amplified by a thousand. And it's basically because you're taking a 30-year-old woman and turning her into a 60-year-old woman overnight with these drugs. And your body is just flipping the fuck out. I've never been so emotional. I was so irritable. Like I couldn't even stand to be around myself. I don't know how Chris and the kid, like I felt so bad for them. Um, I felt so bad for Chris. There would be sometimes where I would be, I'd be fine. I'd be in the kitchen and he would just walk past the kitchen and I would just lose it. Like I, it was just nuts. And I would be so angry for no reason. And then even in my own head, I was like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Yet I couldn't control anything. I felt completely helpless and trapped inside this hormonal body. And it was just nuts. And one time, one time I was sitting, it was in the summertime and I was sitting in the kitchen and I was looking at 
bathing suits for the girls on my phone at H&M. And I came across this bathing suit that had like a unicorn on it or kittens or something on it. And I started just bawling uncontrollably, like, <laughs> like just bawling. And Chris came running into the kitchen and he's like, what is going on? And I said, these bathing suits are just so cute. And he was like, he looked at me and was like, we need, okay, we need to like, call some, like you need to be put in a straight jacket. I like you're, you are a danger to yourself. I mean, I was just all over the map all day, every day. Um, and it was like that for a few months until my body kind of started to acclimate to these drugs. Um, and it, I mean, it got so bad at one point that I remember telling my nurse navigator, I was like, seriously, like, like th this is scary. I don't even, I don't even like myself with all of this going on. Like, I just hate these drugs. And, you know, she had told me that if I didn't want to be on the Lupron, that, you know, the next um, step would be to get a hysterectomy. I had always kind of gone back and forth about a hysterectomy anyway, because I was like, do I really want to be going in to get these shots every month for the next 10 years? Not that it's like such a bad thing. It is only once a month just to drive down there. I have to get checkups or I have, you know, so many other doctor's appointments as is. So it's not like it's completely out of the way. Um, but I was just kind of like, do I really want to go through this? And so my oncologist and my nurse navigator thought it would be a good idea to go see, um, an oncology gynecologist and, um, kind of talk with her and see how she felt about it. My oncologist had mentioned, you know, in the beginning of my treatment that it might be a good idea for me to get a hysterectomy before the age of 35, um, only because I did, I did have numbers wise, and you have to figure that all of these things are just numbers. Um, numbers wise, it was like, I have a re I have a high chance of reoccurrence because my cancer was so aggressive, but you know, all of the treatments have worked. So I don't sit here and think like, oh, you know, I need to do all of these things because I'm going to get cancer again. No, that's, I don't think that way at all. But you do just have to be proactive about everything. And a lot of these drugs that you take, some of the side effects are that they can cause uterine cancer or that they can cause ovarian cancer. And I mean, the, the chances are very, very small, but the chance is still there. It's very hard to kind of think of those things, you know, um, the first time that we had sat down with my, with my breast surgeon and when I was diagnosed, they had said, you know, the first question they said to us was, I hope you guys don't want to have more children simply because my cancer was just so aggressive. Um, and it was heavily produced by estrogen. Um, and to go through hormone therapy, I wouldn't be done with hormone therapy until I was, I'm 41. And so they were just kind of like, I, I'm, I hope you guys are done. And that's hard. Like that is so hard. Yes, we have four beautiful, healthy children. Were we planning on having a fifth baby? Well, not that day, but did we maybe just want the option to be there in a year or a year? Like, you know, you just don't, you don't know. And so for us to have to sit there, you know, automatically our response was like, nope, we're done. Like whatever we have to do to keep the cancer away or whatever we have to do in this moment to kill the cancer is what we're going to do. So if you need to just dissect my entire body, like you can have any piece you want as long as I get to stay alive. But you know, being 31, I, I mean, I always said that I wanted four kids before I was 30 and thank God that happened because I got diagnosed with cancer at 30. But just to be told that 
that door needs to close for you and that you kind of don't have an option. You know, I didn't go through any type of fertility treatments or anything that was not even an option for me um, in the beginning. So, you know, but just to think about it now, there are so many women that this option is taken off the table to have children on your own without any type of intervention, you know, and that is a, that's, that's a hard thing. And I do feel incredibly grateful and I would never sit here and complain about anything in my situation because I know that there's so many young women who have it 10 times worse than I do. They've had to make decisions that they never thought they would have to make. And a lot of them have had to make those decisions on their own. I'm so grateful that I had Chris sitting there, that we have four wonderful children um, and that I was able to say, okay, you know what? Maybe we are very comfortable with closing the door on never having another baby. Um, so to kind of be faced with the fact that it, it might be recommended to me to get a hysterectomy and just, you know, take that whole part of me out, I was kind of like, whoa, like, like my, that's kind of crazy. Um, my uterus has been pretty good to me. I mean, it was like a home for five years of my life. I had four babies in five years. And so, um, you know, she she did what she needed to do, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like your breasts as well. In the grand scheme of cancer, if you got to get rid of them, you got to get rid of them. If I have to get rid of my uterus, fallopian tubes and my ovary, like you're just going to take the whole damn thing. Well then that's fine. So I ended up meeting with my gynecologist and she reiterated the same thing that if the bone pain is just too intense, if the mood swings are too intense and if the hot flashes are too intense, that it would be recommended to do a hysterectomy. And the one thing that I just hate about going through all of this is that I hated taking medication before I had cancer. You know, I didn't take any, seriously, the last time I took an antibiotic has to be 10, 11 years ago, like for strep throat or something. I don't even know. Um, I, I never put anything in my body. I just didn't do it. And so when you go to doctors and you tell them, you know, like my mood swings are so crazy or the hot flashes are so crazy, what do they automatically do? They offer up one more prescription because they want to fix the problem. Um, and they want the quickest way to fixing the problem. So, you know, my bless, bless her heart. I love my gynecologist, but she said, you know, we can give you something to, you know, lessen the mood swings and to lessen the hot flashes. And I said, I don't want one more drug. Like that's not why I'm here. I just want to know what's the best option as far as should I go the surgical route and get a hysterectomy? Should I wait? Should I stay on these drugs and these shots? Like what's, what's the best option for me as a 31 year old? Um, and she had told me that she wanted to see me do the Lupron shots for a year. And if I couldn't, you know, if I still hated them after a year, then she was comfortable doing a hysterectomy. Um, and so that was kind of, that's always been kind of the plan is it's kind of like a wait and see thing because your body does acclimate. Your body is just an amazing, amazing thing. And so your body can put up with more than you actually think it can. So that was kind of what we did. We kept on with the shots. Um, I've been on them now for five, six, six or seven months, I want to say. And it really does. It has lessened. Like the bone pain is still there, but I can tell you that the one thing that helps is exercising. And I, I mean, if you know me, I don't, I don't say that lightly. Like I've never worked out in my life. First time, like I've really done anything or kept up with it was after my mastectomy. Um, and so, 
you know, my, my doctors were saying, just get, you got to keep moving to kind of keep the bone pain and the joint pain at bay. You need to get up and keep moving. And so I've been really diligent about getting up and just walking on the treadmill. I mean, we're talking just a simple, easy walk for 30 minutes in the morning, and it really does help to loosen everything up. I can tell a huge difference on the days that I don't do that, just how stiff I am, even by the middle of the afternoon, just my knees, just trying to get up and down. Um, But all of these drugs take a toll on your bones and your joints. And you just kind of almost feel like you have arthritis, like your hand, my hands will hurt sometimes. Um, it's definitely for me in my knees, like more of my legs and my hips, um, that, that have been affected, but I can tell a huge difference with exercising. I know a lot of my friends, um, who have gone through this and have said to do yoga. I, I mean, I probably should try that. I just kind of feel like I'm the most disruptive person um, on the face of the planet. And I think I would just be so disruptive with yoga, but people have told me about all these different yoga classes that it's not just like these, it doesn't have to be like a calm one. It can be hot yoga or all these other ones that really are a little bit more interactive. Um, cause I just kind of feel like, what if I said fuck, like in the middle of a yoga class, like, I, I don't know if I'd be able to live that one down. So I really do want to try other things, especially with like the stretching, um, A lot of people have said to do Pilates. Like there's so many other programs that, there's so many other workout programs that you can do. I know that the YMCA offers um, a Live Strong program as well for breast cancer survivors. So if you're looking for something because you're in this boat too, um, try your local YMCA and see. I think that they do different sessions um, and it's like a once a week or a couple times a week that you can go um, and do that. So that's something that I've been looking into as well just to keep, moving because my body does just on some mornings, it does feel like it's just been hit by a train. Um, the scar tissue on my left side is so tight. My arm gets really tight, especially in the cold and the winter months now. Um, I just feel so achy. Like you just feel like a little old lady. Um, and going through hormone therapy, I remember I was like called my mom and I was like, I am so sorry for ever making fun of you while you were going through menopause. Cause she would come up and visit us in Alaska or wherever. And she would have a hot flash and we would all, she, you know, she would go outside and it would be like, you know, 14 degrees outside and she would be freezing, but she would just need to run out there for a couple seconds when she was having a hot flash and we would all just laugh and, you know, say whatever. And then like karma is a bitch and now it's coming like full force. And I just have hot flashes all the time. And scariest thing is when you're having a hot flash and you're driving and you just feel like you, you know, like you need to pull over. Um, it's just crazy, but definitely hormone therapy is an adjustment. It's an adjustment to your way of life. Um, it's an adjustment in your own mind. Hormone therapy has probably been my biggest thing to overcome because these drugs cause depression. These drugs cause anxiety. Um, and so to battle that every day when you kind of feel like you're slipping, um, it's hard. And I think that there just, there definitely needs to be more talk about these drugs and mental health. Uh, my sister is going to nursing school and I remember telling her about me being on Lupron and she was very concerned. She's like, oh my gosh, I've just, I've studied all about this drug. We just learned all about it and the dosing. And she's like, if you feel like you are getting depressed, like you need to tell someone right away. Um, and I was just like, what really? And I started looking that stuff up and you know, your hormones play such a huge role in your mindset and your moods. 
um, just the chemicals in your brain. And when you have all of these other chemicals being injected into your body and stuff that you're taking daily, it alters those chemicals. And so it is something that it's a conscious effort every single day to wake up. And, you know, when those kind of negative thoughts creep in, I always have to sit there and think like, okay, it could be the drug because I'm feeling happy. So it could just be something else. And it really is just having a routine, something that you do daily, whether that's you get up and you do, you write down five things that you're grateful for, whether that's just having like a mantra that you tell yourself when you start to get agitated. Um, for me, when I start, and Chris knows this now, I think we have a really good system is when I start to feel like I could lose it. I just walk away. Like, I'm just like, I can't, I can't handle it right now. And which is weird for me because with my kids, with four kids, it's crazy no matter what, but I've always felt like I've been the more patient one. Uh, Chris and I have very different parenting styles at times. Like he, you know, he's the fun dad and he's the dad that's going to take him out and go fishing and do all these outdoors things and everything. Um, but his military background, he's super big on respect. And not that I don't think my children should be respectful, but I'm definitely the goofier one where I'm just like, what's up, bros? Like, and I'm yelling and I'm like, oh, I'm a diva, honey. Like, I, you know, like I'm just the weird one around the house. And so if my children ever translate that to, when talking to Chris or I, Chris shuts that down real quick. And he's like, did you just call me bro? Whereas I'm like a lot more lackadaisical and that type of stuff. Um, and then in the house, I'm a nutcase. I mean, I don't care if my kids are throwing tennis balls through the house, you know, we can throw pillows down the stairs. I've always made it. If you come into my house, you could see that there's nothing in this house that is of value. Like my children and their friends could break anything and everything. And I would just probably be like, whatever, like, when did we buy that 10 years ago? Like, I, I just don't care about material things. Um, especially in my home, I can, I have no design aesthetic whatsoever when it comes to my house, which is very weird to say being a stylist and, you know, having a background in merchandising and buying, um, for the last 10 years, that's weird to say that I have no idea when it comes to my house, but you know, in the house, I'm just, I'm just a different parent and I'm super relaxed and I just don't, I don't give a crap as long as everybody's happy and having fun. I'm like, more power to everyone. So going through hormone therapy, it was hard for me to not be that parent anymore, to just get so agitated at the noise level when I'm the one who would encourage the noise level, you know, a year ago. I'm the one who would be screaming and yelling and blasting music. And we do a thing in our house called Animal Hour, which is, we actually, this actually started in college for me where our dorm room during finals, they would have animal hour. And so it would be like from nine to 10 at night where they would, we would just blast music. Everyone would take a study break. We would have pizza. Like it was just a break and everyone could go crazy. And I lived in an all girls dorm and, you know, people would be getting a little crazy during animal hour. Well, animal hour has always been instituted into our house. And so we do it the hour before bedtime and we go flipping nuts. We blast music, we dance around, we jump off of the couches. Um, you know, the dogs are going crazy. This is not something Chris enjoys at all. I think it actually drives him mildly nuts. But it's something that I've always done. It's always been my connection with the kids. When Chris was deployed or when he was in training cycles, that was like my break. That was my, 
Like I need to get all my frustrations out as well. Well, animal hour drove me to the brink of insanity, you know, in the first couple months of hormone therapy, I felt awful. Like I just couldn't take it. I couldn't do it. I felt like there was no part of me that was fun anymore because of these damn drugs. Um, and that was hard. It was, it was hard to not want to be the parent that you've always kind of associated yourself with. I've always associated myself with being the fun kind of crazy, you know, weird parent. Um, my kids know that, you know, they tell all of their friends and it doesn't offend me at all. They're like, my mom is so weird. Like you have no idea. My mom is so weird. And I am with the singing and the show tunes and, you know, whatever I dress up as a weird person or, you know, just, just weird. I put on weird accents all the time. Like I really am just the goofiest person ever in my own home. I mean, I think I'm that way around my friends and family too, but in my house, I really, it's just, it gets to a a weird, weird level. And I wasn't that way. Um, so I didn't really feel myself on hormone therapy in the beginning. It's taken a lot of effort to kind of overcome that. And when I have my days where I just want to lay in bed, um, I kind of have to sit back and ask myself why, like, is it because I'm tired? Is it because I'm overwhelmed or is it because of these drugs? Um, and it's, it really, it's just hard. And I think that hormone therapy is such an individual thing. I've met women who have said I couldn't do the hormone therapy. And so I stopped. I actually met a woman a couple weeks ago at my breast cancer, um, or not my breast cancer at my plastic surgeon's office. And she was sitting there, she was going in for revisions and I was sitting there, um, going in for a consult on revisions as well. And, um, she was five years out from her original diagnosis and she asked me if I was on hormone therapy. And I said, I am, I'm on Lupron and Arimidex. And she said, oh, she said, I was on tamoxifen for a while. She said, then they switched me to the Lupron and Arimidex. And she said, and I hated it. I just, I couldn't deal with it. She said, so I stopped doing it. And I was like, oh my God, like, that's like such a brave move. She, I mean, she is, she is much older than I am. So I kind of feel like, um, your oncologist does that by a case-to-case basis anyway. Like how close are you to naturally going into menopause? Uh, Obviously I'm years and years away from that. So if I looked at my oncologist and said, I really want to be off of this shit, he would be like, ha ha, good joke. Um, But I think she is close to menopause in the next couple years naturally. So she's probably a little bit better of a case to say, you know what, I'm not going to do these crazy drugs and I'm just going to, my body's going to do this on its own. Um, but it really is different for everyone. And I don't fault anyone for if these drugs do make you crazy and then you decide that you need an antidepressant or you decide that you need an anti-anxiety medication, like more power to you. I just feel like it is so hard to feel normal on these things. So whether it's therapy, whether it's meditation, whether it's a prescription, whatever you can do to feel whole again is kind of what you need to do on hormone therapy. There's no right or wrong way to get through cancer. Uh, and it can always change. You know what I mean? Like you can acclimate to it. Your body acclimates. Now, when I get my Lupron shot, um, I feel a little crazy for like the first, I don't know, probably like 24 hours. And then it kind of relaxes. My butt cheek still hurts. I still get like a nice little bruise on my butt from the shot, but the bone pain is manageable. I feel like definitely with the exercising, it helps physically and mentally. Mentally, just to get up there and push through the joint pain and the bone pain on the treadmill is great. I can only imagine 
you know, carving out time to go to like a yoga class or a Pilates class or something like that. Um, how much like mental clarity that would bring as well. The other thing that I know, um, is what you eat. And I don't even want to say that. Like, I don't even want to be one of those people that like, oh, your diet, you really need to change your whole diet. But I notice things that I eat can trigger more hot flashes. Um, if I have a glass of wine, I know I'm going to have hot flashes, just rapid fire all night long. So I really do like lessen how much I, I don't drink that. I mean, as much as I like love wine, I think people really do think like I used to drink all the time. That's like completely untrue. I'd probably have maybe one glass of wine a week. Um, if that, I definitely wasn't having wine through treatment. And now that I am on Neuralinks, I don't have any wine. Uh, but I, I know that, you know, going through hormone therapy, if I did have a glass of wine, I just knew that the, the hot flashes were coming full force at night. Um, I can also notice a difference when I eat like a lot of red meat and I have no idea what the correlation is there. Uh, but I'll also notice that I have increased hot flashes. So for me, I've always tried to eat pretty clean. I do cheat on the weekends and everything. Uh, but I've really been looking into how much diet plays a part in our hormones and especially for hormone therapy. And so I've, I'm not really like speaking on that. I kind of want to do a lot more research on my own about the effects of that and where that kind of leads. And I, I'm always one of those people that is like searching for more knowledge. Like I always feel like you can never stop learning and that can be on your own. And this is definitely one of those things that I want to learn about doing whole 30 for the last three years, um, on and off, you know, like we just, we stick to like a whole 30 type of eating during the week and we cheat on the weekends or we're just not super strict about it. But, um, I learned so much reading, um, the whole 30 book and just like the science of food and the correlation between, food and your bodies and your mind and just everything. Um, so I'm really kind of eager to see what the correlation is between food and the things that we eat and how that affects hormone therapy and how that affects the drugs that you're on. And there's studies out there and there's books and there's um, all these different type of like cancer diets. Not that I'm promoting any type of anything right now. I'm just saying that's definitely something to look into. And I remember my doctor asking me, if I've noticed a difference in the things that I eat based off of like my mood swings or based off of, uh, hot flashes. So I'm kind of interested to see where that takes me. Um, but if you guys have any tips or tricks on that, you know, you can always let me know. You can find me on social media. You can message me, um, at Kelsey, pardon my French on Instagram or my blog. Um, you can always email me there too. Um, but I would love to like further the conversation on this or if anybody's listening and has gone through this or they have anything that they want to talk about with hormone therapy, I'm always open to having guests on the podcast. Um, this podcast is not just meant to be about me. It's meant to further the conversation and to include the breast cancer community and women and anybody who's been impacted by breast cancer. Um, it's mainly, I just want it to be a resource. So I invite anyone to come on the podcast and talk about it. And if you specifically want to talk about hormone therapy, I would love to have you on as well. Um, so hopefully this was a little bit informative. Um, I hope it kind of makes anybody on hormone therapy feel a little less crazy <laughs> because 
it's a, it's just a part of treatment. Um, if you're not on hormone therapy, bless your heart. Um, but I know that that can also be scary as well. Hormone therapy kind of feels like you're being still active with your treatment. If you are not on hormone therapy, you kind of feel like you're on your own. And that's also a scary place to be, uh, as far as, you know, just not being seen all the time. I kind of feel like, um, I go in once a month for my shot. So I still get to see my doctors. They still do a physical, they still do labs. And so I kind of feel like I'm still being monitored, which puts your anxiety of a reoccurrence, um, at bay a little bit. So, I mean, there's just so many emotions and mind games that are played in breast cancer and breast cancer treatment, but hopefully, you know, this gives you a little bit more of an insight, uh, into life after active treatment. 